I'm Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson, episode 57, I believe. Uh, Before we get started, I just wanted to say a quick thank you to everybody for your patience. Um, I know that we're trying to put out an episode every two weeks, and this one, it's been uh, three weeks since the last episode. Um, As you know, I was in New Zealand for a little while, and I wanted to say a quick thank you to Sam and Matthew who uh, were some li- a couple listeners that I met while in New Zealand, and I wanted to say thanks uh, for your hospitality and making me feel uh, very welcome and very appreciated. That was uh, pretty awesome. Uh, but we've got... Oh, and I'm sorry. I forgot to welcome in the co-host. Um, hey, Josh. Hey, Tyler. How you doing? Well, I'm feeling a little like chopped liver right now. Well, you know, whatever. I mean, I... You're forgettable. Yeah, it's fine. People- All the I keep getting emails saying Josh is quite forgettable. <laughs> really? Yeah. That must be why they forget to email me. There you go. They start it. And I forward like, them on to you. I do? feel like you should know it. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to do. Uh, maybe maybe I'll start a new thing where I'll do something completely unforgettable every every episode. Uh, too know. late so far. Something. Oh no! It, it'll come later. Okay. And it, it might the come in the next couple minutes because Josh, it might. You're working. You're working on a project right now. That's or true. You're trying to get one, uh, trying to get one organized and and funded and all that. I will let you take the reins for the next few minutes and tell us about Josh. What are you working on? <laughs> well, right now I'm I'm trying to get this uh, this web series started here, and figured I needed to just kind of kickstart it, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, fortunately. There's a website called Kickstarter. Oh, that's it that does, does work just out. that. Yeah. Um, I am co-writing a, a web series called The Unemployed Mind that I've been working on with uh, two fellow alumni of the Los Angeles Film Studies Center, which I attended in 2004. Um, we have recorded a few episodes, or we've shot a couple episodes, and we are working on four more so that we can complete out the first season. So we are raising money to um, uh, so that we can have a, a budget for these four episodes for the season. Um, we were able to finish the the first couple with sort of generous donations from people, um, but uh, we're looking for similar generous donations mm-hmm. to complete out the uh, the the first season, as it will be, of the Unemployed Mind. Um, and just to tell people a little bit what it's about. And it's, how many episodes would that be total? There will be six episodes total. There's okay. going to be a six-episode first season. Okay. Um, and it's about two people, two roommates who are unemployed, basically. And mm-hmm. the whole show follows them as they go and try to find different jobs. And, uh, you know, they're sort of ridiculous, odd jobs that they take. Uh, one of the guys is sort of straight-laced. The other one's a little more crazy. And so they get Sounds like an odd to, couple to me. Well, they're quite odd. Okay. Really. Um 
So uh, if you check us out on, on Kickstarter, you can go to kickstarter.com and you can search for The Unemployed Mind and uh, you'll get a little video that we've done to tell you sort of what the show's about and why we're looking for money. And um, then there's uh, some other information there and then at every level of, of donation, if you don't know how Kickstarter works, uh, you donate different amounts of money and for each amount of money that you donate, you get a different incentives package so mm-hmm. it's not like you're just donating money and not ever seeing anything you get something back regardless of what you donate mm-hmm. and the more you donate the the bigger the incentive that's right you could f- you could fund the whole thing you and could. josh would be your personal slave for like a week yeah, yeah. so you hey. don't want that because he's very bad at. i'm things. not very good at being a slave I, so. I i'll mess things up i'll drop things i'll mow your cat instead of your lawn i'll feed your lawn instead of your cat it just wouldn't it wouldn't work out. Still better slave than filmmaker. So, you know, <laughs> you 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 decide what you want. But this way you might get both. Exactly. Um so uh yeah, and there'll be a, a a link to that Kickstarter page uh in the post for this episode and uh, if you want if you look uh earlier in the uh, in the blog on the website for more than one lesson.com, you'll see that there's a post devoted to it specifically. So, there's a lot of ways to get there. Uh, and yes, please uh, help out Josh and his and his friends. There's only a few, like three more weeks to do this, right? Uh, yes, that's the other thing. It's it's time sensitive. It's a thirty day uh, a thirty day project. So mm-hmm. uh, today is March twenty sixth. Is that correct? Yes. And the we have eighteen more days. So April fourteenth is the closeout time. So, so yes, after if it, if you're hearing this after April fourteenth. Hopefully the project's already been funded and you can look forward to watching some episodes soon. Exactly. Uh, but if you're listening to it uh, prior to that, uh, I would uh, ask that you please uh, help out Josh. Um, we don't uh, we don't ask for money on this show. It's completely out of pocket. <laughs> so uh, so yeah, you're you're not you're not spending anything except maybe the iPod that you bought specifically to listen to the show. But that's up to you. You can listen yeah. to it straight from the site if you want. You could. You could. But you've chosen not to, because mm-hmm. you're spoiled. Uh, but now I'm asking you to take some of that spoiled money. Well, now it just sounds like the money's rotten. Yeah, now now, now you sound like you're just kind of scolding the viewers, listeners, lessoners. Oh, exactly. Oh, man. I still haven't done that. But yeah, so um, go, to that, uh, go to the Kickstarter. Help Josh out. If everybody that listens to this kicked in like $10, $20... I'd pay for a good portion of this. It absolutely would. So, all right. Now then, Josh, it's time to move on. I know you'd like to talk about this thing all day long. You know what? I could. I could have a whole episode about it. Just be me talking about it. Maybe you guys, if this doesn't, uh, you know, I hate to say it, if this doesn't work out, you could put it on like in an audio type way. There you go. Like a radio program. Like an old timey radio show. People doing, whenever I think of those, the first thing that I think of is the guy doing shoe noises on like a table. Like here exactly. comes the killer and like. Is there going to be a killer in Unemployed Mind? Could be. Oh. Maybe they try and become killers. Oh, my gosh. The killers. And the then band. just like a, an organ, just like, dong, like mm-hmm. that. Man, that'd be very exciting. Menacing. I have not on a lot of sleep, listeners, so uh, I apologize. I'm uh, I'm a little punchy. But, um, and I've had too much sleep, so I don't even know where I am. Oh, more than one lesson. Episode 57, that's where you are. Well, gosh, mister. And, that, and that's where you, the listener is as well regardless of how much sleep you've gotten or not gotten right and uh, and no matter what i bet you regret it so 
Okay. Uh, listeners of Battleship Pretension know that uh, recently we went through and discussed our favorite films of uh, 2011. And my number one, was, much to my surprise and various other people's surprise, given that uh, last year was the year of Tree of Life and Take Shelter and a number of other uh, very solid films that are fairly ambitious. Um, as is my usual thing, I tend to like something that's a little bit smaller and more uh, character-driven. Not to imply that Take Shelter is not uh, character-driven, but um, but yeah, my favorite movie of last year uh, remains the uh, Bennett Miller film Moneyball. And I will give uh, some quick history uh, with that. So several years ago, I was interning at a production company and part of, you know, one thing that I would do on a regular basis is read and summarize and uh, critique scripts that would come in. And one came in called Moneyball. And I read it and thought it was actually quite, quite good, um, especially compared to the number of terrible scripts that I would read regularly, including one. I've told you this and listeners, a uh, slight tangent already. Uh, there was one, I don't remember the name of it, but it was like the movie Animal House, but all the characters were actual animals. They were all dogs. Hmm. And so there was still the crassness of an Animal House or a Porky's, but all the anim- all the characters are dogs. And I didn't know if they were planning on having this be animated or, or having it be, uh, you know, c- like computer animated to make it look like it was like real dogs, but in suits and talking and stuff. Uh, and I remember as I was read it, but by the way, it was just uh, dogs or not. It was just not a good script, but the dogs added a dimension that made me feel like this movie is literally not for anybody. This could <laughs> like the fact that it's talking animals. This is, this is George Orwell. This is not <laughs> all right. You, you have to really know why you've, you've made this into animals. Uh, and the writers seem to not. Hmm. And so the fact that it was dogs seemed to preclude like adults from really appreciating it. Uh, and the fact that it was incredibly crass seems not for children. So I don't know who the, who the, who the audience was, but that was a, it, it was not unusual to run across, uh, scripts like that, which just, you know, and I feel bad, you know, uh, because we all have ideas that it's like this is the best idea ever, and then you realize, oh, this is this is good for me, but maybe not many other people. So we all have that, and the vast majority of scripts that I read were that. Hmm. There are maybe three scripts that I read and <laughs> thought this is very good, and one of them actually turned out to be the Ricky Gervais film, The Invention of Lying, hmm. which uh, I read, and there was no title and there was no author name, so I had no idea what it was, and it was very exciting and very dry. Hmm. And so, and the other one was actually a version of Animal House with cats, if I remember correctly. And you know what? It worked. <laughs> I don't don't ask me. It worked. It was. I hope they make that movie. That's what I want. It's called Cat House. Oh yeah. <laughs> High five. Uh, I don't have a hand free. Otherwise, I'd do some theater of the mind and make it seem like we high fived. Yeah. High five. So that's the. Past tense of high five. High fiven. High fiven. Mm, that's nice. That'd be high have fiven. <laughs> well, now it sounds have like uh, now it sounds like a Lord of the Rings character. <laughs> so, 
I apologize, everybody, for the silliness of this. So I read Moneyball and thought it was wonderful, uh, except a couple of things here and there. It was... There was a main character that I couldn't really relate to and didn't really know what his motivation was or anything like that, but the story itself was very interesting. And then over time, I heard that, oh, Steven Soderbergh's going to make the movie. That's really interesting. And then that fell apart. And then I heard it's going to be Bennett Miller, who directed the uh, film that I love called Capote Mm -hmm. from uh, 2005. And I thought, oh, Bennett Miller, I like him a lot, but he's not Steven Soderbergh. He's not nearly as high profile. But then I thought, then I heard that uh, Aaron Sorkin was being brought in for a rewrite. And I heard that Brad Pitt was going to be the lead. And I thought, okay, this, this could be interesting. But who knows? I mean, if they're bringing Aaron Sorkin in for a rewrite, they might change the script completely. Mm -hmm. But what they actually did was they made it better than the script I read. They, They really focused in on the main character and gave us backstory, gave us a made it more about him than merely what he was doing uh, and actually married the two more than the original script that I had read. And so uh, I was very pleasantly surprised and just thought it was uh, just a wonderful film. And uh, we'll talk more about, uh, you know, the the content of the film in just a moment. But uh, what did you, I guess, I guess we can, we can link the two together. But Josh, you haven't spoken in a while, so I'll let you <laughs> summarize what the film is about. I'll try and do it sort of briefly because I know a lot of people have either seen the movie already and mm-hmm. don't want to hear a long-winded explanation, or if they haven't seen the movie, they might not even be listening to the episode. Right. But um, uh, for those who do want a plot recap, uh, it is basically the story of a man, real-life man named Billy Bean, who was the manager... General manager. General manager of the Oakland Athletics in the... I call them the A's. Well, you know, most people do. I got places to go. And I, I have already forgotten the time frame, but it was the early 2000s. Early 2000s, like 2002, I think. Yeah. Um, and uh, Billy Bean, played by Brad Pitt, is the manager of sort of a failing baseball team in the A's. And um, uh, he's struggling with the, the problem that a lot of baseball fans actually... Uh, are familiar with this problem that the more money a franchise has, the easier it is for them to win games because the easier it is for them to uh, to acquire better players. Uh, people have long complained about the the Yankees for this reason because uh, the Yankees has been, and I don't know if it's a still case now that Stein Steinbrenner's not around, but has been one of the only baseball teams in Major League Baseball that just. I'm, I'm going into explanations that you kind of need to know about baseball uh the major league baseball puts limits on how much you're able to pay players and the new york yankees has long been a team that just pays players more than the limit allows and there's a big penalty that they have to pay to the you know the the uh major league baseball association whatever they're the commissioner whoever i don't know who gets it but uh the yankees just pay the fines they pay the higher the higher salaries and they can get essentially any players that they want and um in at the start of this movie the a's are seeing that problem exactly because several of their uh, three i think of their best players are Mm -hmm. being bought by other teams all of them by the yankees or yeah i think um that might not be true i think i think uh, two of them at least yeah but i think johnny johnny damon was going to the red Red sox Sox. because then later johnny damon went to the yankees yeah (laughs) um after they won the the uh world series so anyway 
there's this problem in baseball. Sorry if that was kind of a confusing explanation for anyone who doesn't know sports at all. But uh, uh, so Billy Bean wants to try and figure out what he can do with the money that he has to try and make a better baseball team. And he runs into this uh, this young... Uh, I don't know what his job is. What'd you say? Uh, just like a just an advisor of statistician sorts. or something yeah. at a uh, at Cleveland. I believe Cleveland the Cleveland, Indians. Yeah, yeah. Played by Jonah Hill. He uh, Brad Pitt runs into this this kid who is trying to make trades for the Indians based on purely on their statistics. Um, so they would take his idea was that there are a lot of baseball players who the teams don't want for one reason because they don't seem like they'd be a big ticket draw or because they might seem to have problems in their past or problems off the field or something like that. Or, or even in one case he had, there's a guy who has a weird looking pitch. And Mm -hmm. so, uh, these are all baseball players who might normally be thrown off by scouts and wouldn't be sought after by teams. But statistically they have a higher, they, they have, better batting averages, better pitching averages and, and all that. And, uh, the idea that Jonah Hill and, uh, Brad Pitt's characters come up with together is to try and get these, these players based purely on statistics and build statistically the best baseball team that they possibly can, mm-hmm. which ends up costing a lot less money. Yeah. And, and that, that is the, the essence of, of the film. That's where the conflict comes in is that, uh, Brad Pitt's character, uh, Billy Bean, he used to be a baseball player. He was recruited uh, at a very young age, I think right out of high school, and because he was just a great player. He was a you know young, good-looking kid who could do a lot, and just he was a potential star. And that's that's the big thing is that's what uh, that's what a lot of the scouts look for. They look for certainly they look for somebody that can play because you don't get a star who can't play, but um, but they also want somebody who is like you said a draw people want a, a, a not merely somebody who's good but somebody that is a star that is and you'll you'll see it in film as well mm-hmm. the difference between like a solid actor and a star sometimes it, there's just some charisma there uh there's just i don't know there's just this x factor mm-hmm. and scouts look for that as well yeah and so but so they recruit billy bean at a young age thinking he'll be a big star and it turns out he just for some reason can't quite get it together as a professional baseball player and so he gets traded from one team to another goes down to the minor leagues brought up brought back up to the major leagues and goes you know all over the place and just loses confidence because after a certain point he has no faith in himself right and then he becomes a scout himself for the uh, uh oakland a's and then becomes the general manager uh and so He's always sort of in he's always in conflict with his scouts and I think he he naturally has a an a, I don't know a a frustrating relationship with the whole process because mm-hmm. the process did him wrong. Right. Now, it didn't consciously screw him over. Right. But they they assured him of these things that he would be able to do because they 
they certainly because he could do it on on one type of field but they also assured him that he'd be able to do it and that he'd be a star for for years and he turned out to just not be that which gives him an interesting edge going into that whole process there or this whole story because uh he has he's been there when baseball experts quote-unquote experts said things will happen this way and they, they didn't yeah so he he because of having that past is suspicious right off the bat at mm. <laughs> pun intended watch out not intended actually but i'll, I'll say it was intended that's too late pun, se- pun seized upon <laughs> when it presented itself <laughs> um but yeah since he already has that uh that suspicion it helps lead him into this story and so uh jonah hill's character the character's name is peter brand uh he he's he is uh seizing upon something called saber metrics which was uh this idea this this st- the statistics thing uh which was hit upon by like a security guard who had a hobby like years before and the baseball just shunned the idea of this which is just looking at the numbers and looking at the science and mathematics of it all uh but billy bean can't afford stars because the minute they chalk up some big money for a star the yankees will chalk up more and then their star is gone and they're left with exact they basically i think at some point early on in the film they say that the a's are just a training ground for the yankees yeah yeah and uh and he's just tired of that and so rather than try to just go with the same old model and just keep doing what they've been doing he opts to do something a little different even though it is very unpopular because it it goes against the idea that managers and scouts and even players have been thinking for years um which is you can't go by this weird intuition or instinct for like based on how attractive a girlfriend the player has because if yeah. he's got an attractive girlfriend clearly he has confidence and he'll be good on the on the uh, field and it's mm-hmm. like and it's interesting because I'm not a sports person at all and so when I watch that and see that that is genuinely how some people uh, how some scouts used to approach this I am flabbergasted yeah it just astounds me and you're more of a baseball person than i'm you got your uh your phillies hat i have right? it on i didn't even think about it actually there you go I didn't think about the connection but but uh and so it just fascinates me and uh and so billy decides and and it's it's summarized they fo- they focus in on a couple of players here and there like it's implied that a good chunk of the team are these uh sort of cast off players that are perfectly okay at what they do Hmm. but for one reason or another baseball has no interest and one of them is a pitcher who jonah hill says he's one of the best relief pitchers in the entire uh in the game but he throws funny and so rather than cost three million dollars which is what he's worth they can get him for like two hundred thirty thousand. and so so as the uh, as the film progresses, uh, and we'll stop doing summary in a moment, but it, this is an important note: is that as the film progresses, I mean, there are no stars on the team except David Justice, who is a fading star, and everybody yeah. acknowledges it, and everyone says that he's too old. Yeah, it is funny how like even though it's a true story, how sort of inherently cinematic it is. It's like this ragtag group of, yeah. uh, you know, hand-me-downs and misfit toys yeah. who are thrown together to challenge the world. Yeah. It's the bad news bears. <laughs> it kind of is. So, um, 
But uh, and and as he puts together this team, like people in the city are upset with him. Commentators are upset with him. His scouts are upset with him. His own uh, manager, Art Howe, who oddly enough, I don't know, I don't know how, but <laughs> even I know that name. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure why, being not a not a baseball fan or not a not a sports person really at all but i think i don't know he because art howe had been a, around a while and it might have been that i heard my dad talk about him at some point yeah, it could be and but those uh, those guys ch- tend to move around too yeah. so it could be like maybe he was with one of the teams that that your your dad liked or your family liked at some yeah. point and and I, so i know so many myself and so even art howe a very respected uh respected manager even he is against billy and so, really, the only person that Billy has on his side is his assistant, the the statistician, who majored in economics. And so, people can point. So, all these other people point to him and say, "Like you're listening to a kid who does not know baseball." Mm-hmm. And there's a his uh, Billy's chief scout, um, played by a, I think a former real scout. Many of is, the scouts for yeah. The, yeah in the movie were played by real life scouts which is fascinating. That's, yeah. That honestly sounds more like a Soderbergh idea than a Bennett Miller idea <laughs> and I kind of wonder if maybe that happened earlier in the process. Not to I don't want to not give Why Bennett do you hate Bennett Miller? I'm, uh, I'm saying most people wouldn't do that sort of thing. That sounds like a, something a, a maverick like Billy Bean would have done. What? And uh, and the 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 head scout I I don't remember the I wish I'd written down the name of the uh, of the actor but except he's not really an actor um, the the humorous story is I think Bennett Miller or somebody sought out this guy and said hey you're a scout what do you think of Billy Bean and then the the guy is like oh he's destroying this game and they're like <laughs> you got the part. <laughs> And so, and he does well. Oh yeah, um, he he speaks with true conviction in every yeah. sense of the word. Yeah, maybe that's yeah. Maybe yeah. they're just like, oh, I finally get a chance to talk to Billy Bean, not the actual Billy Bean, superstar Brad Pitt. But I'll take what I can get. <laughs> um, and so, and he he does a, a very good job of summing up uh, the general attitudes. Like these people, they don't know what we know. You know, they don't know the, like, the, the strategy of, like, getting guys on base, and, like, bunting to get somebody on base and maybe, like, sacrificing uh, one guy so that another guy can get batted in and, and all that. And Billy Bean's just like, no, get guys on base and, and then bat them in. Don't sacrifice anything. Get them on base. If you don't, don't get somebody on base, then you don't win. You know, you don't get runs and you don't win. Like, it's a very, one could say, a very boring type of baseball Mm -hmm. like it's not and i think that that is what whether the the scouts and the other managers and the other teams whether they know it or not it might be an unconscious thing you know they they go with what is what it won't merely cause their team to win but it's the most fun to watch yeah which will sell tickets and so maybe they're motivated by by that by popularity by the spectacle of it all yeah whereas billy bean's like People pay attention if we're winning. They'll yeah. root for us when we're winning. And that's another interesting thing about the movie is that because it's a recent thing uh, and because there are obviously so many people like this scout who are saying that he's ruining the game, mm-hmm. it's not really like – it's not as if this movie is, in, is uh, about a time when everyone changed their minds about how 
baseball works and how it should be approached from a business standpoint. Like it's still an ongoing battle and there's still mm. a lot of people who don't like that. There's a lot who don't like Billy Bean's uh, ideas and theories. There's still yeah. a lot of people who are more about the, maybe the showmanship of the whole thing or um, I don't know, a- any number of things, which uh, all that to say there's, there's still sort of a conflict there and it's not as if one side has been declared the winner. Right. And so, uh, so, of course, the team loses for a while, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that Art Howe is not playing the team, I believe it's stated, he's not playing the team the way they were meant to be played with this process. Mm-hmm. Howe is playing them the way he the way he thinks of to play them. Yeah. And they're losing based on that. And so, Billy has to further anger people by trading out like the best player on the team because he's the one that's gumming up the works yeah and so people are furious and they're like he you're gonna get fired like you're gonna keep losing people are gonna see this and say it's under it's indefensible you're going to get fired but then the team starts winning and then they go on to set a record for the most uh most consecutive wins is it yeah 20 20 yeah and then uh but in spite of all that, and and as the and to you know summer, to come to a close of, of the summary, um, it's heavily implied that Billy has changed the nature of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, that while as as you said, like there are people that hold out and say, no, 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 this this guy, you know, hey, they didn't win the World Series, so clearly, you know, it doesn't matter. Um, but as uh, Billy talks to the owner of the uh, the Red Sox late in the film, like the guy says, if any team is not reconstructing their team based on your methods, they're going to be dinosaurs. They're out of date, mm. you know. And so, so Billy, you know, the the A's with this process won twenty games in a row, a record, and they really did change the game, but. Throughout it all, while Billy is doing this because he feels like it's what he has to do and, and he does believe that it'll work, based not, you know, in no small part on his own experience of, well, by all, by all accounts, I should have excelled in the sport and I didn't, you know, and so he believes in what he is doing, but throughout the whole film, he seems to have a great deal of self-doubt and what's more there's still the lingering aspects of the like the other way of doing things like he says if you don't win the last game of the series the world series then it's all over it doesn't matter all the things that we've done people will will dismiss us and what's interesting is is how much he seems frustrated by the fact that they will be dismissed but he also seems to feel as though they deserve to be dismissed because this process should win them the series because that's by far the most important thing. Yeah. Um, there, there was an intended result, or like one very specific intended result, and if yeah. he didn't get that, he sees it as a failure. Yeah, as does everybody else. And so so we'll, we'll get to... And that, by the way, speaks very much to the themes that we'll be discussing. But before we do that, I do want to talk about the film in general and what we like about it. Now, I happen to like the themes a lot, but I think it's just a brilliantly made film because I love Capote and all that, but if you watch that movie, 
it's not very flashy. There are not a lot of artist uh, directorial flourishes. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's just not there. Uh, and it would appear that Bennett Miller was much more willing to kind of go out on various limbs through, uh, you know, editing choices, cinematography yeah. choices, yeah, storytelling. What was that? I said I, I would agree with that. And to the point where, I mean, he really manages to embrace the suspense of, like, watching a baseball game. Yeah. And the baseball is not necessarily a frenetic sport, but the idea of, you know, when a character steps up to the plate, he's probably hyper aware of everything. Mm-hmm. He's hyper aware of the pitcher, the catcher, uh, the umpire, the and all the crowds and the lights. And and the, uh, the film does a very good job of showing all of that so that you are frequently put into the mindset of the character that we are relating to most at that moment yeah and i've always kind of felt like um there's a lot of people who don't enjoy watching baseball at all because they'd say well nothing happens but uh, i feel like you could say that baseball is 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 more like maybe a suspense movie while something like basketball might be more like an action movie like or a hockey is an action movie like quite literally <laughs> well that's true people watch hockey a lot of times to see uh, uh like non-sport conflicts arise yeah and they do but um uh you know whereas basketball you might see like a steal or a, a you know a great dunk or three-point shot every couple of minutes mm-hmm. um baseball's a lot more about it's all building up to something like you can have three guys on base and it can be 20 minutes where you go through you know one or two batters maybe um and where really hardly anything happens but there's a suspense about it where like yeah. you know there's a lot on the line and i feel like this movie does a does a great job of conveying that sort of suspense and uh, not only the suspense of the game itself but the suspense for the people involved in the game because it mean to to the managers and to some of these players who were castaways winning the game means a lot more than just having a better winning average. Like right. for them, it means, uh, staying in, in baseball, staying yeah. in, uh, the show as it were. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, and, and as far as the, the performances, um, I, I'm trying to think if I'm a Brad Pitt fan, I think it's a, it's, it's easy to look at the big stars who have like, you know, They've got the attractive wives and all that and say like, ah, they're not that great. Brad Pitt is pretty great or he can be when he is used well. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, the movie Troy, he is not used well. <laughs> uh, <laughs> My mind was like, what's a movie where Brad Pitt's just not? Oh, Troy. That's the yeah, one. <laughs> that's the one. Because that's the thing is, is I think he is a, I'd venture to say a great actor, but limited in the sense that he is a modern actor with modern sensibilities, modern speech patterns. And when you put him in, you know, as Achilles in Troy, it's not going to work. That's not his fault. I don't blame him. He did what he could. Um, you know, and it's worth noting that like Brad Pitt superstar, you know, he had circles acted around him by Peter O'Toole in the film. Who's in the movie, maybe 15 total minutes. Yeah. Um, but he's a he's a classic he's a more of a classical actor and can pull that kind of thing off better. Again, not Brad Pitt's fault because you see him in Fight Club, a movie I don't love, but you see him in Fight Club, you see him in Seven, uh, the Oceans films. 
assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. And then this, and you see what he can do and that he does have some charisma and he can really hold hold your attention. There's a reason that he's a star. And it's not merely that he's a good-looking guy. It's that you're just you're just drawn to him because he he does exude a certain degree of confidence and what I like about his performance in this film, which I think might be my favorite of his performances and quite possibly his best performance. Uh that's debatable, but in my view it is. Um and so uh, he has the confidence of, you know, somebody who's in good shape, uh, has, you know, certain abilities that even though he didn't excel in baseball, he is he was still an athlete. Like, it's hard enough to just to get into Major League Baseball. Yeah. And so uh, so he's got that kind of confidence, but he's also constantly doubting himself, but he can't show it. Yeah. But you, but we see it because we're allowed to see his private moments. But even then, we don't see it just put out there. I mean, the really the the best way that not the best way, but the only way that he can do it in any kind of acceptable way is through rage. <laughs> and he fr- he regularly like throws furniture around. And there's a scene where uh, the the team has once again lost. And he's walking through the halls and he hears that the team is dancing to music and all that. And he comes in and he gets he gets furious at them and say, why are you having fun? We just lost. Do you enjoy losing? And he like he like throws like a cooler. He throws a baseball bat. He smashes his stereo like he does all this stuff. And it's not merely that a losing the the losing team is a they seem to be celebrating and they have no reason to it's that this thing that he had confidence in is falling apart why can't these people at least feel like he feels yeah and it's a wonderful scene by the way and yeah. i think it's one of his best scenes in the film um so i i love his performance and i love what they do with the character i think jonah hill is really uh really solid as well i really liked him in this movie and, and honestly i I've only seen him in a few other things, which I didn't love. Um, and maybe it's not the fault of his performance uh, as well. It, like, I I thought of him as like a silly comedy type of guy. And it's mm-hmm. like, oh, he says gross things in a Judd Apatow movie. And everybody's like, oh, he's great. So I honestly had less respect for him as an actor, I think. And then I saw this movie and I, I felt like he is... Sometimes you see a character or an actor who's used to playing those silly type of roles in a more serious movie, and you almost feel like he's still trying to be that a little bit. Mm-hmm. He's trying like almost as if he's thinking, "They hired me because I'm this sort of silly thing, so I'll get that into here." Um, but I don't feel like he's doing that at all. I mean, there is an ele- there is there are elements of comedy to his character, but um, I, I feel like he really is just playing this very honestly and. I really like. I don't know. I really enjoyed watching him, and I really like this character. Well, you run across that, and and for the, for the record, I just want to make sure that what what you're not saying, unless you are, in which case, get off the show. <laughs> which is, there's nothing less about comedy than drama, but the type of comedy that we would associate with Jonah Hill, which is just saying dirty stuff, and that's the laugh. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with dirty comedy, really, either. <laughs> provided it's done well mm. um, and not so much a crutch. And I think with somebody like Jonah Hill and the types of roles that he's gotten, it's tempting to see the 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 filth and that kind of thing 
as a crutch. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're not saying that comedy is less than drama or anything like that and that it's not as respectable. No. You're saying that type of comedy... And when you see somebody only ever in that context, you start to wonder if they're just a one-trick pony. Well, and yeah, especially com- comedic actors who do mainly that sort of comedy. Mm-hmm. Some of, some comedic actors, mostly what they do is they, they are as ridiculous as they could be, mm-hmm. um, and that's kind of their thing. It's, not, it's almost like it's not the same thing as acting in some way. It's like, how much can I act out? Yeah. In a ridiculous way. Yeah, it's just shtick. As yeah. opposed to, yeah, yeah. And so there, there's, and even when it's not that, oftentimes, uh, especially zany comedies, don't call on actors to have as many levels of, uh, they don't call on actors to be as nuanced or to have as many mm-hmm. um, sort of levels of intention and, uh, you know, um, desire or, or whatever. Um, obviously there are comedies that do, I think pretty much every Woody Allen comedy is like that because the writer is so neurotic. Mm -hmm. Um, but so the concept I had of Jonah Hill before seeing this movie was a person who might be a one trick pony. He does ridiculous things in silly movies. That's, you know, he came up from being young. He probably just was thrown into doing this right away and that's all he does. Right. And so to see him play a very a very different, very nuanced, and I think very engaging role was, I gained a lot of respect for him as an actor. And I think, like, he really did walk a fine line, because whenever you get a comedic actor put in a role that is not essentially comedic, you get one of two things, and you mentioned one of them. Well, I mean, you often get one of two things, and you mentioned one of them. Either they try to inject some of the comedy that they are known for into the role, or they say, well, this is more of a drama, and they play it way too dour too and flat. Yeah. And that's not good either, because that's not what this character is. Mm-hmm. And and Jonah Hill manages to play the play it subtle, play it nuanced, finding the comedy where it is. Yeah. Because Aaron Sorkin, there's almost always comedy in, in his scripts. like, And the right actors can find it anywhere it is and make it a natural extension. Like, there's a, a scene where... Uh, Billy is telling Peter, you know, you're going to have to fire somebody at some point. In fact, let's practice. Practice on me. And Peter's clearly uncomfortable, and he's just like, I'm not doing this. This is stupid. I'm not doing it. And just and the way he says it, like, it's clear he's uncomfortable, and he's, he's not merely uncomfortable in the moment. He's uncomfortable with the very idea of having to do this. He never thought he was going to have to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's being set up to do something he really doesn't want to do and he wants to avoid it as much as possible and so it could have merely been like an awkward scene and it is but it's also humorous there's a there's a humor in this guy trying to maneuver his way out of it by saying this is stupid it's yeah. you know <laughs> and it's just uh it's just a really just a really great performance and i remember being very happy that he was nominated yeah. For uh, for supporting actor, there was no chance that he was going to win. But nonetheless, like you know, jo- it's such an odd thing. Jonah Hill was nominated alongside Kenneth Branagh, Nick Nolte, Max, Max Moncito, and Christopher Plummer. And there's a <laughs> hey, there's that super bad kid starring in The Sitter. Um, so, but and I'm excited. Here's the thing: it's entirely possible for an actor to do comedy his whole life, and there's no- absolutely nothing wrong with that. No, but. The downside is that people will only ever see them a certain way. Mm-hmm. When you cast them in something like this, 
not only do people see them in a different way, but it it opens up new possibilities. Yeah. You know, um, and that's one of the reasons, by the way, that I was I was uh, so sad when like when John Candy died mm. is that. You know, you you see him in JFK, you see him even in a movie like Cool Runnings, and you see, oh, he wasn't just the big buffoon. Mm -hmm. He can be, he can, he can be a, I'm sorry, not a real actor, because he already was a real actor, Mm -hmm. but he can, he can play different notes than he's usually given to play. Right. And it's a shame that he died before Hollywood really took a chance and cast him in one of these things. And I remember, like, Chris Farley, who I think only ever got the the buffoon roles um when you like i remember reading that one role that he always wanted to play was fatty arbuckle he always wanted to Hmm. in in a biopic play fatty arbuckle whose life was not always funny by the way and i would have loved to see that and it's and it's uh it's it's nice when you see a comedic actor actually get that opportunity and you know that he's going to get more opportunities like that while still retaining the the comedic image, and he, you know, he'll probably regularly go back to to comedy, mm. but he'll be allowed to, I think, kind of stretch his legs a little bit in other parts as well. So I was very happy about that. All right. So, um, was there anything else, uh, technically or artistically, that you wanted to talk about uh, with the film? I feel like we kind of breezed over it a little bit and went straight to performance, but uh, yeah, I mean, we talked a little bit about the uh, there. There is some. Some more fancy directing, maybe, <laughs> which is a dumb way of putting it. But uh, directorial flourish is how I chose to say it. I, I like to say fancy directing, much yeah. as one might say fancy catch up. Yeah. Um. And I, I, I briefly touched on how uh, it helps build the suspense that I think is inherent in baseball. But I think one of the things, one of the techniques that they do that is uh, one of the techniques techniques with which they do that is. Uh, uh, I'm not exactly sure how it's done, but they take a lot of the um, a lot of the more heightened moments in some of the more important games when they'll have we'll be focusing on say a, a a batter, and they take that um they shoot it sort of out of context. You'll see maybe the part of the ground, and you'll see you know the person obviously, but it's they're sort of in this black area mm. where normally you know they'd be bathed in light crowds in the background and everything like that and I, I think it focuses it in to this one particular person and um makes it a lot more of that sort of mano e mano mm-hmm. uh concept um so i don't know if i'm explaining the technique that's done very well but basically all that you see is the the actor and maybe some of the like close uh, surroundings on the ground, like mm-hmm. you might see, might see the bases, some of the baseline, some of the grass, but uh, they must be shot in some sort of. Either they're shot away from the field, and they have something is built around them just to look like that, or else uh, something's done in the editing or whatever to black out everything around them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. It's kind of a kind of a cool technique. And it's worth noting that the uh, cinematographer was uh, Wally Pfister, yeah, who. Yeah. Uh, most recently won an Oscar for um, Inception. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and it, and it just seems like an interesting thing because Inception is such a, is such an action type film and such a unique type of action film. So you need a, a very malleable, very creative uh, DP. Yeah. And so to get him to direct a 
seemingly straightforward film, you know, character study that happens to have sports in it, I think was uh, a very wise choice on Bennett Miller's part because it really did elevate this from, you know, because uh, as comes up frequently on Battleship Pretension, like the movies that I like, I mean, if it's shot, if it's shot poorly and it has like bad music and mad, bad editing, that will take me out of it. But if it has like, if it's, if it's, capable and adequate and all of those but it's got really great characters and performances and writing that's usually enough for it it's usually enough for me you know to be one of my favorite films um and that by the way we'll get to that we'll we'll return to that idea in a second but like it it sometimes bothers me that i don't embrace more of the filmmaking technique almost for its own sake uh i sometimes don't feel like a real film fan again we'll return to that in a second um and I and I, I sometimes have to remind myself it's like you know when done well technique can actually play into character and character can inform technique yeah. you don't have it doesn't have to be one or the other yeah and I think Moneyball is a good example of a film that really does have all of this stuff going and mm-hmm. and I was sort of I wasn't surprised but I was kind of disappointed that Bennett Miller was not nominated for director hmm. because. It's a very it's a very well directed film where you would not expect to necessarily find one. Mm-hmm. I mean, you would expect it to be solidly directed, but there are there's some fancy directing going on, Josh. <laughs> um, so, so I feel like uh, we'll we'll get into the theme a little bit right now because I, I'm not sure if I would say Moneyballs is a perfect film, and there are some people that that were uh, surprised by it being my favorite film, uh, and in spite of you know along with all the stuff that uh, that we've said here uh it's really the themes that the film is exploring that i found specific to me but also i think to like the the life of of a christian um but i will i will focus in on me as i tend to do um Billy, like I said, Billy knows that what he's doing is going to work. He know he at first he knows it should work, and then he knows it's going to work once he sees it working. Like you could have ten wins in a row, and see like, oh, okay, ten wins in a row. This is working. This is going well. It's going the way it should. But then, like he sets, you know, he sets a record. He he changes things a little bit. Um, but throughout it all, his old instincts, because he was brought up in the in this other way of thinking, and those kick in constantly, and they cause self doubt. It causes him to, even when he has accomplished something amazing, he downplays it and says, "Well, it's not this thing over here." Mm-hmm. And the film through uh, the owner of the Red Sox and through a, a rather uh, wonderful scene with um, with Peter where he shows him uh, a video clip of a, of a minor league game in which this uh, very large baseball player who does not like to round first, uh, he hits a ball and then decides, you know what, I think I've hit it far enough, I'm going to round first. But when he does, he trips and falls and like scrambles back to first and everybody's laughing and, and Billy's like, oh, that poor guy. But then Peter says, well, the reason they're laughing at him is not this. Mm. It's because he's content to stay at first when in fact he's hit a home run, but he doesn't know it. 
And so, and it's a real thing that really happened, yeah. which I, which I love. Yeah. It, it wasn't uh, you know, mechanism or anything. And, uh, and what's funny is that like people are laughing at him, but then when he gets up and decides to actually like round all the bases, the, his teammates are cheering him on. The crowd is cheering him on. The other team is cheering him on. Yeah. Like it's this, it's a success. Now it might not have been quite as much of a, of a moment if he had realized immediately, Hey, I hit a home run. Awesome. It's because he doubted himself in, in an even smaller thing, yeah. which was just getting to first base. Yeah. It's just like he, like he, he went for something that he thought was mildly ambitious, which was to go to second. Mm-hmm. Did not accomplish that and failed to, but failed to recognize that he actually accomplished way more than that. And I, and of course, uh, in the film, uh, Peter Brand's like, it's a metaphor. And, <laughs> and Billy's like, yes, I, I know. <laughs> and it's, and it's a nice moment. And, and maybe it puts too much of a, too much of a button on everything, but it works. It's a good metaphor. Yeah, no, it is. Um, it's, it really, another metaphor is, uh, the idea of continuing is, you know, you hear about those uh, those Japanese guys in caves after World War II who don't know the war is over. Yeah. But it's that idea of like continuing to fight a battle one, after your side has won, or in that case, lost. But like after the war is is done, mm-hmm. you keep fighting these little things. You know, and so so as I as I watched the film and as I was really reflecting on it, uh, a phrase came to mind that I've taken the time to memorize. And in spite of my memorizing it, I've written it down and I have it right here. Um, and it's uh, internalizing the values and opinions of people you know to be wrong. Um, and that, I think, is Billy's big his big issue because it's just this nagging thing of like, I know they're wrong, but there's just so many of them. There's the players, there's the fans, there's the other coaches, there's the commentators. None of them believe in what I am doing, even though it's provable. You know, and, and when his team, when the A's eventually uh, get knocked out of the playoffs, um, you know, they wind up losing and it's just the way it goes. They're not going to win every game. Spoilers. At this point, I just assume that you've seen the film if you're yeah, listening probably. this far. Um, but, uh, and also... You can look back at the stats. Well, that's true. Um, but most people don't look at the stats before they see the movie. Like, that's I don't true. know what's going to happen. But uh, but anyway, so like they get they get knocked out, and and you hear that uh, that Billy's starting to get it from all sides. That like, hey, this was a fun experiment, but uh, whatever. So to a certain extent, he's right. Like he knows. He said, "I know the way these guys think, and if we don't win the World Series, they're going to dismiss us." And it yeah. sounds like they mostly do. Yeah. Um, but at the same time. You know, there's a lot of things you can say like, well, number one, those guys aren't having a movie made about them. Uh, That's one thing. But also he gets an offer from the owner of the Red Sox that would make him the highest paid general manager in the history of sports. And that's worth noting Mm -hmm. because it means that somebody out there recognizes that what he did was amazing and and changed things. But he doesn't he believes it and doesn't and that i think is a very christian problem and it's and it's one that i've encountered i don't know if you have but it's the it's that idea of 
you know, we're supposed to we're supposed to live for God. We're supposed to recognize that the only we have worth because God says we have worth. God loves us. Jesus died for us. That means we're worth something. Mm-hmm. But and we and we recognize that and we accept it. But because we don't have a certain amount of money or we don't have a certain kind of job or we don't look a certain way, we feel worthless. Like because mm-hmm. we are not worth something by the world's standards, we constantly doubt ourselves and there's no easy answer to this except to, you know, try to repeat to yourself that like God is the one that matters. He's the one could say he's the only one that matters, not to imply that you should be like, screw you, wife and friends. You don't matter. Because, in fact, the more you embrace God, the less likely you are to say that. Yeah. But um, and it's not even just, uh, well, one situation where we feel that is, like you said, where we don't have the things that we would want. But another is like he experiences in the movies when you have people around you telling the, telling you that that's wrong. Yeah. And that's something that. Uh, I I know people in Los Angeles can experience. Um, I know people working in the film industry experience, mm-hmm. and I, uh, to a mo- f- far greater extent, people in uh, countries where Christianity is not accepted. Yeah. Um, experience. Um, and by the way, you can also run across it in the Christian community. Like yeah. if you're a Christian who decides to go to Los Angeles and pursue art, exactly, you could get. Uh, other Christians saying like, well, God, you know, God's not calling you to do that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, uh, I think I know what God is calling me to do more than you do, or at the very least I have more of a stake in it. So I don't want to take it lightly. Whereas this is just something you're saying based on an opinion you have about film or, mm-hmm. so, or art or whatever. Um, and so there will, there will always be people looking to shut you down a little bit. And, um, and it's very hard not to, take that to heart because when it comes right down to it and i i hate to put it in in these terms like i don't hear god i don't see god mm-hmm. i read the bible and i hear sermons and i hear what friends you know christian friends say were trying to be encouraging i hear all that but god himself i don't hear mm-hmm. i hear the critics yeah you know i hear the people insulting me or I can read it very directly in which they use, like, my name as yeah. opposed to the Bible, which doesn't use my name. Yeah. Um, God's never turned me down for a job. Ex- you know? <laughs> exactly. God's never sat across a table for me and told me how my uh, how, how ridiculous my ideas are or, or, uh, re- or my religion is. But, like, right. we experience that with other people. It's, it's much more tangible. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the critiques are much more tangible than they are um, God's the confidence that we ought to get from the the Bible. And like, and much in the same way, Billy, like I said, the only person he's got on his side is the guy who was not raised in baseball and at best is an enthusiast who gets paid. (laughs) And Um, I I love that he's an economist. As soon as I said that, I was like, (laughs) yes, an economist. Like he doesn't, he doesn't belong here, but uh, it's like, I I believe he can do it now. (laughs) Um, and so I know that, you know, for, for me, I will, I'll bring up a couple of things. One is, of course, this podcast uh, and feeling like, no, this is, I feel like God called me to do this. And then I read something negative about the show itself and that I 
that I don't edit it and I should add out, edit out all the ums and uhs, which I don't have the time to do that because <laughs> that, I say uh a lot and I apologize for that. But um, uh, so anyway, mm. <laughs> okay, now we're just annoying people. But Even like Charlie. Yeah, oh, Charlie's my cat, and he's laying next to me, and he seemed to uh, be bothered by the fact that we're making noises. He took so, offense. He takes umbrage at that. Ooh, nice. And <laughs> so so there are people that say that critique the show itself, but then there are people who, on a much deeper level, critique my knowledge and appreciation of film. Then at an even deeper level, level there are people that just say, this guy is an idiot, or this guy is hateful or whatever, and his beliefs are stupid. And you'll find that a lot on the internet. It is quite unfortunate that I am doing this on the internet, but they don't have podcasts elsewhere. And so, you know, and I'm sure you've, you know, if you're, if you're a Christian, I've, I'm sure you've run across it where, you know, a comment or something where people, you know, in, in the most condescending way, <clears throat> dismiss the very idea of God and say, like, I don't need some invisible man in the sky. And while I do recognize that that is how it sounds to them, it's just like, the thing that bothers me is like, you're part of a society, man. Like, you have to live here, as do I. (laughs) Like, let's let's try to be a bit more civil. But that's the thing. So even though I reckon, like, just now I'm saying that is not the way to express disagreement with somebody because no matter what it is you disagree with, like, to just shoot them down as unintelligent or you know whatever that's not the way to do it so i recognize that the way the guy even the way he even expresses himself is incorrect but i still sometimes by sometimes i mean constantly take it to heart of like yeah maybe i am stupid maybe i shouldn't be doing this podcast you know what right do i have to put my opinions out there come on um another example is as I've said, there are certain kinds of movies that I tend to favor, um, and that's character, dialogue, acting, that sort of thing. Um, and in certain aspects of the film snob world, that is sort of looked down upon because it's like, oh, so dialogue, acting, character. Well, you're a fan of plays then. You're not actually a fan of film. Because a film fan would actually appreciate cinematography and editing and all the things that make, you know, that makes film film. Uh, You tend not to like movies that that favor that. And so you're not really a film fan. Uh, And I don't agree with that. But at the same time, boy, do I agree with that. And 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 I constantly worry about that. And you yourself know that, like, I tend to. I, I have not seen nearly as many foreign films as I should uh, for various reasons. One is that as far as themes, I do tend to be fascinated by Western themes, um, specifically American themes, and not just because, well, okay, themes of like, you know, ambition gone wrong and priorities gone wrong. And you run across the, and the idea of, of the, the freedom to pursue your own ends, but, never actually being encouraged to question what those ends might be. Um, I find that kind of stuff fascinating and, and like the failure of the American dream and somebody who gets everything they want. But in fact, that might be the absolute worst thing for, for them. I find that sort of thing fascinating. 
but uh, there are people who say like, oh, you haven't seen this foreign film? What are you, uh, do you just not like foreign film? Like, you're not a real <laughs> film fan. There's that. I ran across that in film school from time to time. Um, and then... So I internalize that and think, oh, all these things that I just said about that I like about American film and Western film specifically. Um, part of me thinks, am I just saying all that as an excuse because I'm a lazy film fan and don't actually want to watch foreign film and like I don't want to have to read stuff? Like, even though I don't agree that you that you can be a film fan and ha- having not seen every foreign film out there or every silent film out there or whatever. Mm. I believe that you can still be a film fan who knows what he's talking about. There's those, there's those people who just say that and I start to absorb it and think, eh, maybe they're right. Maybe I am a total fraud. Mm. And I will say that doing so has made my life miserable. Not that I consider myself to be miserable not that I think my life is miserable but every time I think about that like I can't say something without qualifying it I can't say to a certain group I'm a Christian no no not that type of Christian like I do that which by the way insults a lot of people when I do that <laughs> um, or it's just like I'm a film fan no I haven't seen everything but I I, I feel like I still am a film f- like I'm apologizing before to the point where people don't even have a chance mm-hmm. to affirm what I'm saying or defirm. That's not it. But, uh, or, you know, disagree with what I'm saying. Disform. Malform. Malform. I like that one. (laughs) But, uh, so, I've got several verses here that, uh, that sort that speak to this. And I, and I, I talked about, you know, things that weren't merely my faith because once you start doing this, and start questioning. It's not bad to question your own motivations and your own methods. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you really feel like you're doing the right thing, and then somebody else comes along and says that you're not, and you know that they're not correct, it's it it can be such a frustrating thing to to really give their opinion validity. And there comes a time when you have to find some kind of faith in the things that you believe in some right. kind of confidence really in the things that you believe in. Yeah. Um, or else you, uh, you stay in this constant state of, of wondering and of, uh, of self torture even in some, uh, in some cases. Um, and with that, we will move on to the, uh, the companion for actually, before we do that, I mean, is this, I'll give you the opportunity. Is this something that you have uh, ever run across? It sounds like you have a little bit, like yeah. the doubting of yourself as far as like being a filmmaker and that sort of thing. I, I mean, I think that's a, that's a thing that that really everyone experiences to some degree. Um, whether it's it's questions about your your faith or questions about your uh, your choices. Um, I've I, I know I've talked with my wife Megan before about how I, I can be the type of person who. I always wonder whether or not the other decision would have been better. Like I can get the soup and then forever wish like, Oh, would the salad have been better? <laughs> like I, I, I take forever to look at a menu. Cause I'm like, if I don't get the thing that's the best, then I've made the wrong decision. I've made the wrong dinner decision. <laughs> so like, um, that obviously is a stupid, simple example, but that extends further into, into 
life in general where you know you wonder like should i have should i have moved should i have chosen the career path that i did should i have gone to should i have gone to college should i have studied what i did at college if i did um uh so um there is a i think especially in in uh in today's world in today's western society where you know, for the last for the last 50 years really there's been a lot more in the culture about uh questioning what's truth and questioning reality to which i think's almost hit a critical mass where we couldn't we question every single thing that we that we ever do mm-hmm. um and that puts us in a very difficult place um get into that analysis paralysis as it's called yeah um and so uh, that's not as as a uh, as big an issue for soup versus salad necessarily but it can be a, a very big issue for us especially when it comes to our faith because mm-hmm. if we don't have um if we can't have any kind of confidence in it then uh, especially applying to the Christian walk, if we can't have any faith in it, then it it doesn't really affect us in the way that it's supposed to, and we don't follow it in the way that we're supposed to. Like, um, the basis of the Christian life is acceptance acceptance of Christ and Christ's sacrifice for us. But if even that is something, you know, and that that's the most basic core point of Christianity. But if if we question that, it makes it a whole lot harder to grow in the other ways that God wants us to grow in and that the Bible provides us teaching on. Um, we have a lot to guide us in how we're – we have a lot in the Bible and in uh, you know revelation from God about how we're meant to live. But you have to accept those basics first or else everything else becomes a lot more difficult. So if you if you can't if it's hard to say whether or not Christ really died for your sins then it's it's a lot harder to say like whether or not you ought to tell the truth about something that might right now seem like it would be better if you didn't. Yeah, you can't be bold ever if you yeah. are I mean if you have no confidence in your opinion about anything you're not going to boldly proclaim anything. Exactly. You know, it's uh like f- for example Citizen Kane is my favorite film. I know that is cliche to say. I know that. And so, and I've run across enough people questioning like, really? Can that really be? And they don't say it maliciously. They just say like, I, I, they just say like, I don't see how that's possible. Mm-hmm. Or it just seems like a very convenient coincidence that what is considered the best film of all time is your favorite film. What not that interesting? Um, to the point where like, when I, on my bad days, part of me is like, Maybe Citizen Kane isn't that great. No. No. Citizen Kane is awesome. It's a wonderful film and I can say that. Like I and but once I start questioning my own opinion and questioning my motivations for saying it's my favorite film, then I start to question the film itself. Mm-hmm. And then like and then you could question every other film that you like or don't yeah. like. And then and then like and it it becomes like a chain reaction and before you know it like I hate to put it this way Nothing I say is worth anything at that mm-hmm. point because I will not say anything that anyone will want to listen to. You know, I mean, you mentioned like the idea of, of 
questioning your faith and questioning, you know, the the core of, of Christianity. And that, again, there's nothing wrong with critically looking at it so that you can better understand it or determine whether or not you think it's true. And that can go for any philosophy, by the way. Um, political, artistic, whatever. Um, but, like, when you start to question it, like you, like you mentioned, like, you know, it might make an effect, you know, it might affect, like, you and, and your own and your opinions elsewhere. It'll also affect other people because, I mean, think about, like, think about, let's say Paul. Okay, now I know that some people, uh, some people have said, like, I don't really like Paul. He's really preachy. It's like, well, yeah, that's the deal. But, like, he says things boldly. I mean, he said, and it's like, he doesn't mince words. And so, I, it, he's the kind of person that in life, if you met him, you'd be like, I don't like that guy. Mm-hmm. But he's got to say it. Like, he needs to say it. And if he was constantly saying, like, ah. So many people are saying I'm wrong, and so many people are saying that I'm just such a jerk for saying all this stuff. Maybe I just shouldn't say it. And people are putting him in prison. Yeah. And, like, other other apostles were saying, like, this guy's not for real. Or even some of them were questioning whether he was just trying to get money out of people. Like, yeah. And so, like, if he gave in to those doubts, and there are some doubts, but you don't have to, you don't have to let them dictate your behavior... But if he constantly gave in to them, then we wouldn't have a good portion of the Bible and various other, you know, various other uh, apostles and disciples like who Daniel. did great things. Daniel, like, yeah, Old New Testament. They're all there. Yeah. Um, if they didn't give themselves over to this thing, then they wouldn't have made a difference, not merely in their own lives, but in other people's lives as well, including ours. Mm. And so... Uh, I will now bring up the companion film because uh, somebody doubting himself has adverse reaction uh, uh, consequences on other people. The film, quite literally, is Jaws. I, I was going back and forth between several movies uh, to pair with uh, Moneyball, and as you and I, and none of them, I was I wasn't really happy with any of them. And then because it's unusual to find a protagonist who really does have self doubt, like mm-hmm. you'll run across the protagonist who gets hit with adversity and questions you know why he's doing it but ultimately knows I'm doing the right thing um but you don't often run across someone who has really who has taken these other opinions and they are ingrained within him and they would be there whether those other people say anything or not mm-hmm. and uh then Josh came up with one that I love which is Jaws and the character of Martin Brody played by Roy Scheider mm-hmm. We don't need to talk much about Jaws. You've seen it. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, Big Shark comes to New England town. That's about it. That's the and nothing happens, oddly enough. <laughs> no. He gets, kind of becomes around, their mascot. Swims around. People talk about it a little bit. Two old guys playing chess are like, yeah, did you hear about that Big Shark? Yeah. yeah it was a shame. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> man, that's a movie. That's, that's like a Sam Shepard film. <laughs> um, so... Uh, so yeah, it's directed by Steven Spielberg, based on the uh, book by Peter Benchley. And by the way, it leaves the book in the dust. I've read that book; it is not nearly as good. <laughs> um, and yeah, giant shark comes to this uh, very small New England town, which has a police force of I think two: <laughs> the chief and his deputy, maybe a couple others, but we don't see them. Uh, kind of like Mayberry. It it has a Mayberry oh, quality to imagine it. Imagine if Jaws came to Mayberry. 
That's another movie I want to see. Well, I don't think it would do much damage. Well, it's Because he'd just be laying on the ground. Well, maybe there'd be like a pond in the middle of Mayberry. Sometimes, somehow Jaws gets in there. The pond that is crucial to the local economy. (laughs) Exactly. And you know, Otis is the first to go. Oh, no question. (laughs) Um... But uh, I know there's a, there's a big audience for those uh, Andy Griffith Jaws crossover <laughs> jokes. That's hey, you can make a good joke out of anything. Um, so Martin is he's the chief of police and he's new. It's his first summer. He doesn't totally understand how everything works, and he's he kind of gets dictated to by the mayor and the local bureaucrats. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a cop from New York and he does mentions like, you know, in New York, you can't make any difference in Amity, in Amity, the name of the town. One man can make a difference, mm-hmm. you know, and he's, and clearly he, that's why he came here. Cause he wanted to make some kind of difference. And now he has the opportunity to do so, uh, because this giant shark is eating people. <laughs> and at the very least he can shut down the beaches and not make it quite so easy for the shark to get them. Yeah. But this is a beach community in the summer. Fourth of July is coming up and the politicians, they don't want to. By the way, it's not the worst concern of like we make our money during the summer and that's what carries us the rest of the year. If we do not make any money during these months, we are in terrible trouble all year long. So it's the economy of the town takes a serious downturn. So it's a it's a legitimate concern. Yeah. Um bigger concern is the you know the people being eaten yeah and so that's and and chief brody is his job is to protect people and this is how he protects people Hmm. but you but he he seems rather i'm sorry to say spineless like the Hmm. film really is about him getting his backbone and actually being bold in his convictions of no this is what needs to happen we need to close the beaches that's what needs to happen. That's yeah. the only way we can do this. Yeah. Um, and so, but he regularly gives in because mm-hmm. he doesn't seem to have confidence in his convictions and he just lets himself get steamrolled and sure enough, more people die. Yeah. And, uh, and it's worth, I, I always thought there was a really interesting scene where uh, a young boy gets killed and he's the second one to to get killed. The first is a is a college age girl, and uh, the boy's mother comes to Brody and says, "I just heard that a girl got killed here yesterday, and you knew it. You knew there was a shark out there." Okay, I know the whole line, but uh, she basically blames him, saying, "You should have closed the beaches after this happened, mm-hmm. but now." But you didn't, and now someone else is dead, someone that I loved, a young child. Yeah. And she walks away, she slaps him, and she walks away, and uh, the mayor says, like, Martin, she's wrong, and then and Brody says, no, she's not. Like, he knows that, like, if yeah. I had just stuck by what I believed. He knew the whole time that that was, that that was what was right to do, and even, even when the beaches are open and he's there, you can tell he knows it's not a good idea. Like, he's nervous about it, he's, yeah. he's like... Uh, isn't th- there's a part when he thinks he sees a shark and he really doesn't and yeah. you know, causes a little bit of a scare. But like he he is confident in himself the whole time. In inside, he's confident that this is not a safe situation that the right. wrong decision has been made. But he doesn't have the self confidence enough to believe that voice inside himself and act on it and mm-hmm. stand up to in this case the mayor. Yeah, and he you know 
and some of it might be a self a, a selfish thing like I could get fired, I could do, you know, I could lose I could lose my job, I could get, you know, whatever. Um, and I'm still new. You know, it makes you wonder, like, if he had been in the town five years, people might have been l- willing to listen to him. But also, he might have had just more faith in his own opinion. But, um, but yeah, it's... it. And over the, so over the course of the film, he actually, you know, not only does he decide, okay, this something needs to be done, but he's the one to do it and it's and it's notable that the last third of the film is is him and two other guys going out on a boat to hunt the shark and two of them are way more qualified to actually kill the shark one played by um richard dreyfus is like a shark expert he's a scientist and the other played by robert shaw in what i think is one of the best best supporting performances of all time uh plays a character named quint Listed on IMDb as Sam Quint. His first name is never said. It's not said in the book either. Really? And now I can't get that out of my head. It's hmm. very bothersome. He is he is only Quint. Isn't it? He's not a Sam. <laughs> that guy doesn't look like a Sam. Sammy. But uh Good old Sammy Q. But anyway, so these guys are <laughs> Exactly. So these guys are way more qualified and they actually get, you know thrown by the wayside in some way um and it and it comes down to brody because that's yeah. who it that's who it has to be i thought that was interesting you you brought that up when we were talking about this which i hadn't really thought of that before that like even when he does go out into the water after the shark he gets like the two most qualified people on both the brain and the bronze side on like yeah. op- on both sides of the spectrum to try and like take care of this problem yeah <laughs> like he goes out because like i guess i have to do this right yeah um yeah, like even when he's boldly doing something, like he'll still have somebody else kind of fight his battles for him, and then eventually it's only him, and it's mm-hmm. his only, and he has to use his ingenuity and his skill to to actually do it, and he does. Um, spoilers, but uh, <laughs> the, the shark doesn't win in Jaws. <laughs> I think I think spoilers for Jaws at this point. I, yeah. I think you, you're okay with that one. It's 37 years old. Yeah. Um, so that's that's the thing is is and I I, I want to say this real quick and then I'll, I'll read a couple Bible verses and then we'll be done. But um, when you do this, like when you embrace what you know to be true, and when you, I mean, it means fighting off other people. It means fighting instincts inside yourself. When you when you actually embrace it, it's going to affect more than just you. Billy Bean does change the game of baseball, but even more specifically, he changes. The guy who was discarded because he throws funny, but is actually a good pitcher. Yeah, he he. The, uh, there's a, a character who uh, has like hurt his elbow and can't really throw that well, mm-hmm. but Billy sees potential in him and brings him on and puts him at first base, an incredibly difficult uh, position to play. But you don't have to throw a lot at first base, exactly. so problem solved. Mm-hmm. But then that guy needs to get his confidence. But at the same time, the very fact that Billy took a chance on him. It seems to give him enough of a boost to get himself through it a little bit, you know? And in the same way, like, you know, when bro, like if Brody had stuck to his guns, there would have been more people in Amity, you know, because it's when you, when you give in to the world, you won't be the only one affected. Like God uses us to do good things in the world. 
regardless of what the world may want. Um, and so like that is a very palpable thing that we can see. Mm-hmm. Um, so I will, uh, say I've got several Bible verses here, but I don't, uh, I don't want to read all of them because we're running short of time. So I'll just go with a few here and there. Romans 12, 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and prove what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That one, pretty self-explanatory. Another one is... 1 John 2, verses 15 through 17. Josh, would you like to read that? Sure, I will. Um, That goes, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Now, I do want to say something really quick about that. There are people who, uh, you know, they look at, parts of the bible and and sometimes the word hate shows up like Mm -hmm. the idea of somebody like hating their family or someone not loving the world it's like that doesn't sound like Mm -hmm. it's like well you need to look at it the correct way and you need to look at it in the overall context of other things the bible um because jesus doesn't really hate things Mm -hmm. and uh and we are supposed to love everybody so what what is this probably saying and it's saying that you can't let the world and worldly um, values and I don't know, just their definition of worth. Like you can't let that dictate who you are and what you do because you will always be torn between God and the world. And you, as, as we said, you won't be able to really do anything. So it's much better to shun the values of the world, still love the world, of course, and, and love the people in it, Mm -hmm. but recognize that those values are not yours. And then you'll be able to actually accomplish more. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so I'll say this one. Uh, Matthew 9, verses 16 and 17. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst. The wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Um, obviously, that one... Maybe not obviously, but that is about like we can't we can't just be who we were and expect the new covenant, the new you know the good news, like the things that God and Christ value. We can't be who we were and expect that to come through. Both mm-hmm. we we won't be able to stand it, and no no good will come of it. It will burst, and nothing nothing will happen. Um, like we need to become new people as much as as possible we need to be to go back to another verse be transformed by the renewing of our mind um you know just you you can't really you can't be a servant of uh, two masters mm-hmm. you know um so let me see what else we've got here i think i think that might be uh that might be it but i'll i'll, I'll go with uh with matthew 16 verses 24 through 26 Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? So that one is 
obvious, which is uh, it if it's going to at times suck to be a Christian, mm-hmm. just as it will suck to hold to any conviction that maybe is unpopular. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you could gain all the popularity you want, but if you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, what does it really matter? Mm-hmm. You know, like I could, I could say like, Oh, all right. Uh, well, I want everyone to like me. That's, that tends to be my, my thing is I want everybody to like me. So I will put out the most inoffensive podcast out there. <laughs> I will not bring up the Bible very much in spite of the fact that this is a Christian show. I won't bring up the Bible cause it might bother some people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I won't say any definitive film opinions because that might bother some people. Like, I will be completely bland so that nobody could take any issue with me at all. And if I do that, then ultimately there's no point to the show and I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And that is not at all what we are called to do. If we're called to take up our cry, uh, our cross you know, if if Christ can do it, we need, we need to be like him. If imagine if he had been like, oh wow, this is really going to offend people if I do this and if I say some of these things. So you I better know, not. The Romans and the Jews are both going to like me a lot better if I just stick to the carpentry. Exactly. I'm I'm not a bad carpenter. <laughs> um, so yeah, I so that's that is why I love Moneyball so much is that it speaks so clearly about this idea of being torn and how miserable you can be. But if you really give in to what you know to be right. Mm-hmm. It won't just affect you. It will affect, in this case, the entire game of baseball and the players that had that baseball had long since cast off and felt that they had no value in themselves. Yeah. And to go into spoilers a little bit again for this movie, um, he he learns that lesson not only in response to the game, but in response to his his own personal life. Mm-hmm. Um he he has an estranged daughter that we see him not not estranged but uh, uh, he's divorced and has a daughter that he sees periodically and um, he's given opportunities in the film to follow the baseball you know the white rabbit of baseball all the mm-hmm. way and and maybe go go all the way to the top but uh, where there might be voices around him saying this will make you the most money this is the smartest thing to do um, he knows that it's right to be there for his daughter and Mm -hmm. he does ultimately choose to be there for his daughter yeah it's but it is it is also kind of a melancholy ending because he does choose that Mm -hmm. but it does say that he still wants to win the world series and it's just like man don't it's like i understand why you want to don't get me wrong who Mm -hmm. doesn't but come on man like you're gonna get a lifetime achievement award and you just want best sound editing that's all there's nothing wrong with sound editing, but like you, you got to keep your eye on the actual prize here. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and it's odd that you mentioned the thing about the daughter because that will transition us into the next episode in which, uh, you know, we frequently get the message that, uh, okay, all right, job, don't, don't listen to your, you know, don't define yourself by your job. You could always lose your job. Better instead to be a family man or a family woman and just really embrace family. And that will be the ultimate good. We'll find out next episode when we discuss the proposition that maybe that's not always the best thing either. So um, so we'll talk about that uh, real quick. Want to remind everybody, 
Kickstarter. There will be links, a couple links to it on the website. You can go and uh, again, please do fund, uh, help fund uh, an unemployed. Uh, the unemployed, the unemployed mine. mine, not an unemployed mine. There's a couple of them. <laughs> It'd be at least three unemployed mines. Really, you won't be funding us. You'll be funding the project. There you go. <laughs> We're not going to like take this money and we'll all like, all right, now we can all eat for the right. rest of the year. Let's just throw together this video thing, yeah. put it out there on the internet, you know, and then we can eat. I mean, that's the unemployed mind right there. <laughs> just like, all right, look. I'm pretty desperate. Let's just lie to all these people. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, anything that you can give would help. And uh, every little bit does help. Honestly, people. So, yeah. I think some people are daunted by the idea that there are donation levels up to like a thousand dollars. We're not expecting many many if any people to give a thousand dollars. Now now you never know if there's an eccentric millionaire listening to this. If there's an eccentric millionaire out there who wants to give money to the unemployed mind, really you should give us more than just a thousand dollars. Right. Because imagine. Imagine the magic that can happen. Wow, that's really overstating. Um, so, but yes, please please do that. And then uh, you can go to morethanonelesson.com. Um, there's not a lot of new stuff up there right now. Uh, blogger Travis Fishburne recently wrote an article about the new show uh, GCB, oh, which yes. is a that's film true. about, uh, a, a series about, um, like, Christian, you know, church life in the South, and it was uh, created by, is it the same guy that did uh, Desperate Housewives? It seems like it would be. But yeah, and so it plays up uh, maybe some of the more negative elements that you w- that you will definitely find in the church, by the way, mm-hmm. or that you can find in the church. But, uh, but yeah, so you can read about that. Um, I think I recently... I think by the time this goes up, there will be an, another, another sermon posted by uh, Tim Keller about authentic Christianity, which is a very convicting uh, sermon, by the way. Uh, and yeah, and you can email, if you have any questions or, or thoughts about uh, this episode or others, you can email me, Tyler, at morethanonelesson.com. You can email Josh, Josh, at morethanonelesson.com. You can follow me on Twitter, twitter.com slash morelessons, or you can follow Josh at the Josh Long. At the Josh Long, or right now you can follow at Unemployed Mind as well if you'd like. That's an option as well. You know what? You don't have to go either or. You can do both. You can do both, and the reward will be bounteous. Trust me. <laughs> bounteous? Yeah, sure. Okay. Let's end on that. All right, uh, Josh. Again, thanks for being here. Thank you. And thanks everybody for listening. And we'll get you next time. Bye.